Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Happy Friday. Glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. We've survived yet another crazy political week. Jim, a week ago at this time, we thought Joe Biden's presidential campaign could be on the edge of the dustbin of history, although the polls were looking better in South Carolina at that point. But man, what a difference a few days makes. You know, it's not a New York minute that can change everything. I, mean, I suppose you could. But more or just takes a South Carolina weekend and one Super Tuesday and that ch- and everything can change. It is unbelievable. Think of all the people who were still running for president just a week ago. Man, coronavirus is really rough. <laughs> Absolutely is. Good foreshadowing, too, Jim. Can you tell we're in a Friday mood? Yeah, good. Uh, it's going to be like that. Let's go to our good martini, Jim. And we're always happy on the first Friday of a new month to have the good martini be a good jobs report. And this one was really good. Shattering expectations. Previous months revised upwards. Lots of good news here. Here's CNBC reporter Elon Mui. 273,000 non-farm payrolls rose by 273,000 jobs in February, well above expectations. The unemployment rate dipped back down from 3.6% to 3.5% in February. Average hourly earnings rose by $0.09 cents to $28.52. That's a 0.3% increase over the month and a 3% increase year over year. Revisions also looked very strong. December's number was revised upward by 37,000 jobs from 147,000 to 184,000. January's number also up, this time by 48,000, going from 225,000 jobs to 273,000 jobs. The overall U6 rate, which factors in people who want uh, full-time jobs instead of part-time or people coming back into the labor force but haven't found work yet, that ticked up a little bit, which can be interpreted in one of two ways. It could be interpreted that people are more optimistic, so they're trying to find work again. Uh, Others... uh, could still be trying and not finding work. So the expectation was 175,000 new jobs. It was 273, plus, as she just mentioned, uh, tens of thousands revised upwards from previous months. So uh, things still humming along here. We'll see what happens with the impact of the virus, but uh, so far, so good. Yeah, and I guess if, you know, if there's an om- not just the ominous foreshadowing of, our, of my previous joke, this may be the, the, the last really good jobs report for a while. Um, we've already seen various... We know the airlines are are doing may, way fewer flights. We're already seeing a couple school districts shut down schools for a while. Uh, people, you know, we saw the Bond film got pushed back. I think you know they they recently calculated, particularly overseas, but perhaps here in the United States as well. People are just not going to go out to the movies and just maybe not don't want to go out as much as they uh, they do. We're going to have, I don't know if it's going to be a recession. I know nobody's got a perfect crystal ball, but it's going to be not good for a little bit, particularly in certain industries, more than others. You know, if you have stock in Purell, you're probably feeling very good. (laughs) If you are, you know, if you run a cruise ship company, and oh, by the way, I just got my invitation to the post-election cruise for National Review in November. So for all of our listeners who'd like to join us, we're really hoping it's all cleared up by November comes, (laughs) the time November rolls around. Um you know, look, it's it's going to be probably pretty bad for certain industries. Tourism, maybe restaurants. Uh, it's conceivable. All stuff. But for now, if you're, if you're going to go through a tough stretch of the economy, you want to have your, your economy in the best possible place to start. 
and we're pretty much there. Uh, this is looking really good. Not just the job creation, not just the, you know, there was a little bit of like fluctuation, shall we say, in the last couple of months. The numbers of the past few months got revised up. No, we are heading into this storm full speed ahead with this ship going about as well as it possibly can. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, we have nothing to worry about, uh, you know, but if you're, if you, we are probably, if we, if we're going to get hit economically, if we're going to have a tough time, at least we are going into it in the best possible shape. It should make weathering the storm a little bit easier. Um, and, you know, again, if, if, if we, if, here's the thing. If, you know, you can hear me knocking on wood, coronavirus does not turn out to be as bad as we think it is. And that more people have a uh, built-in immunity and this, you know, kind of goes through our society and doesn't have uh, as bad an effect as we fear it will. Well, then presumably it'll be a nice, you know, not just in the markets, but in the broader economy, a nice big economic rebound at the end of this. Boy, wouldn't it be great if that kicked in sometime around September, October, November uh, for an incumbent president who wants another four years. We'll see how this thing shakes out. But the news for today is really good and we ought to savor it. But let's talk about the fact that the markets have been in flux here as we head into our bad martini. Uh, the last two weeks have been a, a tremendous amount of upheaval. And Jim, as, as we know, things changed so fast in the headlines lately. It's hard to remember now whether the markets led to the media freakout over coronavirus or vice versa. But uh, yesterday, uh, Maryland announced its first case and Virginia announced it was testing some people. So I went to the internet and said, okay, if this thing's getting close, let's just see what are the symptoms? How do you even know what you've got? So Mayo Clinic says you had a fever, cough, shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing. The severity of COVID-19 Symptoms can range from very mild to severe. People who are older or have existing medical conditions such as heart disease may be at higher risk of serious illness. This is similar to what is seen with other respiratory illnesses such as influenza, which, of course, we deal with every year. And for the longest time, we had a lot of medical professionals out there saying the regular flu is a much bigger threat to you than coronavirus. But now that the markets are going crazy and the media loves crazy and chaos and uh, stranded cruise ships and everything else, people are starting to panic. They're clearing out shelves and uh, they're talking about potentially shutting down schools if the outbreak gets too bad. But, Jim, for people with compromised health, it seems to be a major concern to, to be on the lookout for, just like any flu season would be. But why is the media in full up to 11 panic here when even the Mayo Clinic is essentially saying, yeah, it's kind of like the flu. If if you're healthy, uh, it'll be an illness. And if you're uh, compromised, it could be rough. Yeah, this, we're really getting the worst of both worlds in the sense that this is something that uh, we should be genuinely concerned about. I'm seeing some people who are saying, ah, this is nothing. This is fake news. No, no, the coronavirus is very real. COVID-19. Uh, this is not Y2K. I, I, I wonder if we had enough false alarms in our history. Thinking about Y2K, thinking about the, the awkward color code that the Department of Homeland Security used to have where they would say that, you know, we were yesterday at yellow. Today we thought about going up to orange and now we're just kind of going with a, an ochre color. It's, we're not <laughs> quite to the level of, of burnt sienna. You got to consult all your Crayolas. You can go through all life, all the times we've seen things where we were told something was going to be terrible, turned out to be not that bad, and it just seemed like the media panicking and, and hyping and, and trying to you know get people stirred up for ratings. The coronavirus is not that, but on the other hand, the coronavirus is also not the kind of plague that they make you know dystopian sci-fi movies about. Um, I was it was interesting because I was ready to grumble at the president 
Trump did an interview with with Hannity, and let's I'll just be honest, he didn't phrase it the way I would have wanted to, but he basically was making the point that you've heard medical experts and researchers saying, which is like, look, if you know, if we've had the two cases in Washington State, and there are two different genetic strains, it probably means that sometime back in the six weeks ago, these two people had no contact with each other. Uh, there's no point their their paths crossed or something like that. It probably means the coronavirus has been floating around at least in Washington State for a better part of six weeks. And we have not seen, thankfully, this giant die-off in Washington State. We did see the death toll starting to tick up. My understanding is that that's in a nursing home. And that's exactly the sort of circumstance where, okay, it is turn your, your concern up to 11. That is a really big deal. As, mentioned, as you just mentioned there, Greg, if you have existing health problems or if you're elderly, you, you do need to worry about this. And you probably want to minimize your exposure to large crowds or, or any type of circumstance where you're going to be around a lot of other people who could be carrying this. The good news is you're right. There are a bunch of people who are probably not going to have any symptoms or symptoms no worse than a cold, or maybe it'll strike them like the flu. Most people survive this. Uh, Trump kind of rambled. He said about his hunch was something, and I'd really rather he didn't uh, uh, indicate that his, you know, he's got some answers coming from his gut. Uh, but it's, it, this is being verified by the government experts. Uh, Admiral uh, Brett Girard, I believe is the way you pronounce his name. It's not Samuel Girard. Uh, he's assistant secretary for health and human services in another part of the, you know, he says the best estimates now are that the overall mortality rate for COVID-19 is somewhere between one tenth of 1% and 1%. That's lower than you heard probably in many reports. It's not likely in the range of two to 3%. Now, again, your mortality rate is going to, you know, be affected a great deal by how quickly people get to a doctor if they have it, how quickly you can identify the cases. And how, you know, the quality of your healthcare system. When you saw that 2 to 3% number being floated around over in China, China has probably a very stratified healthcare system. And some folks, the elites, are going to get fantastic uh, treatment. Some people, not so much. In the United States of America, in Western Europe, in a bunch of these other places, you're probably going to have much better medical treatment. If they catch it early, they probably are going to be fine. Uh, sounds like we're going to be more than a year away from a, from a vaccine. So this is something we're going to have to deal with for a considerable while, but it also is not something that panic. And our media just can't really seem to calibrate it, Greg. It can't be at this, okay, this is serious. If you're in one of these risk groups, you probably want to take some steps. If you're experiencing these symptoms, you probably want to go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling this. Is this a routine? Notice my ominous cough there. Um, <laughs> this Is this a routine cold? Is this the regular flu? Uh, or is this a, you know, is this the coronavirus? By the way, advice I saw yesterday, and it's worth noting, if you haven't gotten a flu shot, I realize we're getting towards the end of winter, early spring, get your flu shot anyway, because it can protect you against some strains of the flu. Not all. Uh, a couple of folks in my family got the flu this past winter. We all got our flu shots. It can only protect against certain strains. But hey, if it keeps you from getting a bad flu, that'll keep you out of the hospital. That'll keep you out of the doctor's office. And you won't be cr- going into a medical system. Let's face it. It's probably going to be dealing with a lot of stress during this coronavirus situation. The government is doing its best to keep people informed at appropriate level of alertness and preparation and concern, but not panic people. It's which the media get on the same page as that. I feel like I'm kind of old school on this. Some of these uh, places where you look at the symptoms, they say mild sore throat, uh, slight runny nose, a little bit of a cough. And, you know, when I was growing up, you don't go to the doctor for that. You just take some over the counter stuff and and uh, and maybe stay home from school or something for the day. But uh, uh, it's not something you necessarily go to the doctor for. And if you do, it's perhaps even at even greater risk uh, if, if other people are there trying to get tested for the same thing. But, uh, Jim, I'm, I'm almost imagining, you know, that 
recycling triangle with the arrows that keep pointing to each other and just goes around. It's almost like uh, markets freak out, media freaks out, public freaks out, markets freak out, and it just keeps going and going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It's the circle of freak out life, Simba. I'm not trying to uh, depress any sector of our economy. We we want everybody in business to thrive. But you see these stories of people going on cruises and now being forced to stay in their cabin for days on end. And then once we get all the testing done, hopefully someone will let us disembark at their port. That's not exactly how you want to spend your vacation. You said it, Greg. And by the way, you can get great deals on the National Review Cruise right now at www.nrcruise.com. On to our crazy martini now, Jim. And sometimes, you know, the libs do things that they think are really smart and we pounce on them because that's what they always blame us for doing anyway. But uh, other times they just hand it to us on a silver platter. And that's what happened last night on MSNBC. The 11th hour with Brian Williams, you know, the newscaster best known for his veracity, uh, is (laughs) discussing Mike Bloomberg with uh, a woman named Mara Gay. She's on the New York Times editorial board, which I cannot stress enough. The elites, the smart people, these are the people who are our betters, right? Well, they start talking about how Mike Bloomberg wasted all these hundreds of millions of dollars on this campaign. Then they go off on this math tangent, which just leaves uh, anybody who passed basic math scratching their heads. Um, Somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. I've got it. Let's put it up on the screen. When I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent 500 million on ads, U.S. population 327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. It's disturbing that you don't know basic math. It's not true because, Jim, as we all learned in school, or at least I, I think most people learned, uh, let's get rid of the millions. So it's whatever Bloomberg spent, 500, 600, divide by 327. Turns out she got about a buck and a half. So uh, you could have gotten, I don't know, a bottle of water maybe somewhere or a pack of gum at the checkout counter. But uh, a million bucks, sadly, no. You'll have to win Publishers Clearinghouse for that. You know, there are so many parts of this that are just, you know, like I, I just I need to make the chef's kiss, you know, <laughs> such perfection here, because William says, if you're getting ahead of us on the math, like I'm waiting for him to correct this person. And right? this is just some random person on Twitter. Um, this is not some, you know, you know, think tank of budget priorities or, or something like that who, who put this out. But here it was spotted by this New York Times editorial board contributor and Brian Williams. And they, they somebody at MSNBC had to, like, you know, set up the graphic. There had to be some sort of producer who said, during this segment, we're going to bring up this graphic. You can talk about Bloomberg spending in perspective. Now, now, here's the thing, Greg. Maybe they're thinking, you know, billion in their head or something like that. If, if you have $500 and you have 327 people, as you said, just wipe away the million. <laughs> Most people say, okay, yeah, it comes out to about, you know, everybody gets a buck and there's about 170 left. So you split that amongst everybody else. You end up with about a buck fifty. Um, but then I started to think like, okay, what's the flip side of this? What would you act like? How much would you need to give a million dollars to every single American? And I ran the numbers and it comes out to $320 trillion, trillion with a TR. And I could, if you're like, God, I can't even imagine that kind of money. The reason you can't imagine that kind of money is because 
the gross domestic product of the world, not the United States, not China. You put all the countries, every everything that is made in one year all around the globe comes out to about $92 trillion. So it's not quite four of those. It's like three and a half of those. So three and a, everything created on the entire planet in three and a half years, would the value of that would be enough to make every American a millionaire. That is not what Mike Bloomberg spent. Mike Bloomberg spent an enormous amount of money, and you can make that point. But, you know, I, I was really struck because you're, you're looking at this thing, oh, my God, how can they make this kind of error? Why is it not jumping out to them? Why are they not seeing this? But I think my, my colleague, Charlie Cook, made a really good point, um, spotted it and wrote something up this morning where he says, this is why so many left-leaning Americans think that the billionaires can pay for everything. All right, this is why Elizabeth Warren was enthusiastically boosted by a media, despite the ridiculous pretense that she could pay for a series of gargantuan initiatives without raising taxes on anyone except the extremely rich. It's why Democrat after Democrat promises to not raise middle-class taxes while promising programs that require the raising of middle-class taxes, right? How did this bad tweet make it onto TV? Why did Mara Gay agree with it? Why didn't would Brian Williams agree with it? Because they thought it was true. This is how they see the world. And you suddenly begin to realize just how much, you know, really the left, although I think the fact when we're spending trillion-dollar deficits under a Republican president doesn't make it look that much better. In the heart of it, the inability to distinguish between million, billion, and trillion, and their inability to get their heads around numbers that big, like that's at the core of their philosophy. The, you know, once you figure out, once you do the math on this, you're like, oh, this can't work the way they say it does. This, this, you know, we can't do that. We couldn't even do the uh, the Andrew Yang one thousand dollars a month program. They just don't understand the numbers in the, in the federal budget. Their numbers this big. Therefore, in their mind, well, billionaires have a lot of money. What we want to do is a lot of money. Therefore, by taxing billionaires, we can pay for everything we need to do. I will give credit to Williams and uh, Mara Gay for their sense of humor once they realized what happened here. Uh, Williams issued an on-air correction saying, turns out Mara and I got the same grades at math. I'm speaking of the tweet we both misinterpreted. He could give each American a dollar. I stand corrected. Sorry about that. The tweet is wrong. And she tweeted out later, I'm on my way to buy a calculator. So... Uh, okay. Yeah. Good. Good for them. But, but you know, maybe. But still, maybe a little more humility <laughs> next time. You're oh, those silly Republicans who say we can't afford it. That's no. exactly right. The same smugness will be back with the next issue. You can you can guarantee. So, on that note, Jim, with our arithmetic mental superiority and our ego <laughs> riding high right now, I'm sure we'll blow it somehow next week. But uh, have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday. I was going to say, this is, this is, guess what I'm doing this weekend? I'm showing my boys that clip and making them do the math to show that it's, it doesn't work. Excellent. See, that's a good dad right there. Well done. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, leave us a kind review with five stars. And also, don't forget those home devices will work to play the podcast as well. All you have to do is say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. We will see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch.